we're not robots, right? We are going to have flaws. We're human. Um, God designed us that way. We have flaws. And for us to be stronger, we have to seek out those that have different talents than us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fit Father podcast. This is episode number four. I am Spencer Gallo, host of the Fit Father podcast and the founder of Gallo Fitness. And today I have with us a former Army combat medic veteran, a best-selling author, a bourbon lover, a member of Team BioLane, and my own personal fitness coach. This man's an all-star dad, horse owner. He's a misplaced cowboy living in Florida. Please join me in welcoming David Mathis. David, thanks for coming. Welcome to the podcast, man. Spence, that was probably one of the best intros I've ever had to a, a to a podcast. So I appreciate you having me, man. And pretty much everything you said there was 100% accurate, down to the <laughs> bourbon lover and this uh, misplaced cowboy. So awesome, cool. So let's just uh, let's jump right in. So tell us a little bit a uh, little bit about your background. Obviously, you and I have worked together for a little bit uh, with coaching and everything. So I know about you, but for the guys listening, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, how you kind of got into coaching and, you know, wrap up with kind of how you ended up becoming the first team violin coach, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, wow. I don't know how far you want me to go back. Um, I mean, growing up, I was always a, I was always an athlete. Um, you know, sports were my big, my big thing in life. Um, grew up riding horses as well. I used to show horses at the fair. Um, you know, I always, my whole goal was always to be a professional basketball or baseball player. Um, at five, eight, that didn't work out so well. Um, <laughs> but I, I do, I do love that. I took my talents, I think as far as I possibly could have. So, um, you know, I started once I got out of high school and everything started kind of thinking about, you know, what do I want to do? Right. Obviously that's kind of the big question on everyone's mind. And so I went to college, um, and of course, didn't follow anywhere near the path that I'm on right now. I chose the safe route and went, you know, management, um, which actually has played me, uh, has done very well for me uh, later on, you know, learning how to just operate as a, you know, quote unquote business owner. Um, Cause as a, even though I am with team by lane, I am, you know, a independent contractor. Um, mm -hmm. So I handle, you know, I've handled my own business stuff and things like that. Um, so it definitely, definitely, helped having that background, but I knew I always wanted to do something with athletics and sports and health. Um, my middle sister went to Arizona state for exercise science and I was, she's six years older than me. So I was about 12 or 13 when she went off to college and that was the first time. So we're talking 97, 98, uh, cause I just turned 38. So I'm old or, um, that was the first time that I really found out that you can go to school to study exercising. Yeah. Like I, back in the, you know, some of you guys, some of you guys might be listening to this that are a little bit younger, like what you know about the fitness industry now and social media, that was not the case in the late nineties. Okay. Um, I was still reading bodybuilding magazines off the shelf. Okay. No what, social media. What's a magazine? <laughs> yep. Um, so that kind of got me thinking, I'm like, wow, this is, this is interesting. Like maybe I'll be a, a athletic trainer or, you know, a strength and conditioning coach or something like that. Um, so that was kind of in my mind, but when I went off to college, I didn't follow that route for multiple reasons. Um, I guess I just didn't really think it was a feasible route at that point. And so I kind of went a safer route. 
Um, but when I got out of college in 07, I kind of started thinking, I'm like, you know what? I got my first real job at Home Shopping Network down in, in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. So I moved from Indiana down to Florida. My dad was already living down here. So I was familiar with the area a little bit. And I was good at it. And there was a great potential for, for you know, increasing in job, um, you know, level and salary and stuff like that. But my heart wasn't into it. Uh, you know, I was always thinking about the gym, thinking about nutrition, things like that. So I decided to go back and get my personal training certification. And so I started doing that on the side. Uh, and then 08 hit. And if anybody has are old enough, you know, the economy really went down the drain at that point. Nobody was paying for personal training anymore. So I was starting to think like, what options do I have? And I knew at that point, like, okay, I need a degree in health and in, in nutrition and exercise, something like that. So uh, I have a family history of a lot of different people serving between the Navy and the Air Force and the Army, all the way back to World War II. Uh, so I started looking into that route um, and I joined the army. I was a combat medic in the army for four years. Uh, so I got a lot of great hands-on training with, you know, health and the body and anatomy and everything like that. And when I got out, um, I was still kind of thinking, okay, maybe I'll go in the strength and conditioning route, or maybe I'll be a, a PA or a physical therapist or something like that. And when I got out, I started taking my prereqs for grad school because like I said, I had a management degree. I had no science. I had maybe like undergrad chemistry and biology or something like that, you know, just mm -hmm. the basics I was going to take. But I did a lot of educating on my own because I was so interested in it. So I knew the anatomy like the back of my hand. I knew nutrition like the back of my hand. I just needed to get the credits for it to apply. So I started taking my prereqs, doing all that. And then I started looking around at grad schools. And I was looking at Georgia, and University of Florida, and just everywhere. And then I came across a video one day from actually a very good friend of mine now, Lauren Conlon, who was in grad school um, at USF. And she was at the ISSN conference presenting her research that she had done. And that's where I kind of found out about, oh my gosh, you know, USF's got a great program right in my backyard. It was 20 miles away. Uh, so I learned about, you know, Dr. Bill Campbell, things like that, started looking into the program. Um, made contacts with these people. I just sent Dr. Campbell an email and was like, hey, this is my story. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. Like, what do I need to do to be in your program, right? So he invited me in. I went to his office, talked to him. Um, he's like, listen, you're a little too late to apply for grad school for this upcoming term, but you can work in my lab. You can volunteer in my lab, kind of get some research under your belt, kind of understand how things work. And then you could apply and try to get in for the next calendar year. So I did that. And during that time, that's when I met Lane. Now, I've already known about Lane for years before that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually what I talked to Dr. Campbell about. He's like, oh, he's one of my friends. So um, when he was coming into the lab, Dr. Campbell let me know. So I could come in and meet him, things like that. I just talked to Lane. I was like, listen, I, I want to do what you do. Actually, my exact words, I want to do what you do, but better. <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> pretty confident at that point. Um, and he liked it. And he's like, you know what, why don't you come by the house? Um, we can talk a little bit. So went by his house the next day. We talked and he's like, you know, I'm looking for an intern. I'm looking for some help around here. So I, you know, I was 32 at the time. So a lot of people are thinking, oh, internship, like you're young. No, if you have this ch chance to take an internship with any field, no matter what age you are and one of the best in the industry, you take it, right? 
So I did that, kind of learned the business of coaching because it's not just about numbers. It, it's about marketing. It's about running a business. Uh, so I got a lot of hands on with that. I helped him with a lot of his stuff. We did case reviews. I was watching him coach his clients. And then eventually I started taking on some clients for free and kind of proving myself. And, um, you know, before we knew it, you know, I had a pretty full load of, of clients and we started bringing on more coaches. So that's kind of how the origination of Team BioLane started at that point. And, you know, this is six years later at this point now. Um, full time. It's my full time gig. I'm out of grad school. I've been out of grad school for many years now at this point and um, just loving it. Loving it. That's awesome. I know that was a big whirlwind of a story, but <laughs> I told you, I didn't know how far back you wanted me to go. So no, yeah, no, yeah. I love it. Um, I, th I, I think I knew the originations of like you getting into grad school with, with Dr. Campbell. And I think I remembered hearing the story of like Lane, just being like, Hey, like, why don't you just come to my house and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. Um, which I, I may or may not use you as a, uh, a subtle in to try and get Lane on the podcast at some point too, but, uh, I'll do, I'll do what I can. I mean, it is, it's hard for me to get a conversation with him anymore with all these big podcasts that he's, on, yeah, but, I say he's, he's on Joe Rogan. He's doing all these big things, yeah, speaking yeah, engagements, everything. He's worked hard uh, for it. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was talking, uh, the first episode we were talking and kind of like fangirl a little bit on lane of it's like dude's a, a national powerlifting champion and, you know, runs four businesses and he's still like the just absolutely shredded and jacked and like an awesome dad. And it was like, and it, it's a, it's a testament. A it's not just, I mean, it's not a testament so much to Wayne himself, but what I'm going to say is it, it, it just goes to show that people are not going to like what I'm about to say, but there's a lot of excuses that we give ourselves right on why we can't do this or we can't do that. Lane's not the only one. You look at doctors, you look at lawyers, you look at these guys, these CEOs that run massive businesses, you look at these people and what separates them from the average person that falls off. And it's all mindset. It's mindset, it's prioritizing, it's organization, and it's it's just that never give up attitude. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves enough credit for what we can do, right? Because it's more uncomfortable to change than it is to stay where you're at, right? You might not like where you're at. You might definitely want to change, but when it comes to developing the habits that you need to succeed and get to the point where Lane is, or some of these other guys you see out there are, it's uncomfortable to make the changes that you need to make in order to do that. So it's easier just to stay where you're at and just say, Oh, whoa, well, me, you know, I can't do this. Um, People, I'm a big, over the years, I've gotten a lot more into the psychology of individuals with coaching and, and just goal setting and things like that. Um, and that's what really, that's what I think I do a lot more of now than anything with my clients. I mean, I can, you know, obviously we adjust macros and we do all that, right? But as I've grown as a coach, as I've grown as a man, as a father, as a husband, and just acquired more clients of different backgrounds and different, different things like that. I've picked up all these little things about how the human mind works and how um, confidence, you know, affects us positively or negatively. And most of the time what I'm finding with people is getting their mindset correct is the big challenge, right? It's okay. The numbers are one thing. I mean, I don't want to make this sound like it's not difficult, but like any monkey can, put in numbers, 
right? Right. That's not coaching. Coaching is figuring out where you are right now. What do we need to get you to where you ultimately want to get to? And what are the roadblocks in the way that we need to bust through? And, and most of the time I find with people, it's up here. It's nothing else. It's up here. Um, they have the ability to, they have the time, they have the desire, but they don't have the confidence and they don't have a plan set out to do it effectively. That's why you see crash dieting. That's why you see a bunch of weight gain because people don't have plans set up. And I actually just did a post on this. I think it was yesterday, the day before systems are boring, right? They're, they're, they're boring. They're not exciting. Um, nutrition, you know, dieting or putting on muscle. The nutrition aspect is, is not exciting. Training, building muscle is not exciting in terms of like what it takes to actually do it. People overcomplicate everything. So what my job is as a coach is trying to figure out where your roadblocks are, whether it's mentally, habitually, um, emotionally, and break those away and just put in a system that you can follow that'll get you there. It might not be exciting, but it's going to be effective. Right. Yeah. And I think that that, um, you know, I, I mentioned at the open is like, you are my coach. Like you and I are working together. We work together, I believe, end of 2022 or no, beginning of 2022. I think we were working together. Yeah. Like 21, 22, we were working together. Um, and then I kind of went off and did my own thing and, and ended up coming back and just restarted back up with you in the beginning yeah. of January. We and it was literally like, you. you know, I'm, I'm a coach. I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it all, but the philosophy that I have is coaches need coaches. And it's a lot easier for me to be like, yeah, I know I can do it and I can put it all into place. But being able to have you say like, Hey man, like your calories are way too freaking low. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. But like in my head, I couldn't wrap around the like, you need to start reverse dieting and we need like, it's not, it's not losing weight right now. It's getting healthy to lose weight later. And like that mindset shift of like, I was like, and this is like, this is exactly why I came back to, to join back up with you on the roster was like that mindset shift of, I know how to do it. I can do it, but actually implementing it was like in my head for some reason was stuck. And that's, that's not uncommon. And that doesn't mean, and if someone's listening to this and they're like, Oh, I'm just like Spence, that's me. I, I just can't do it. Right. Um, that's not a, like a, a flaw or anything that's being human. Like you need I tell this to, I tell this to clients all the time. The human mind is amazing. It can make us believe anything that we want, whether it's good or bad. Right. I mean, how many times have you lied to yourself? Right. I mean, yeah. you do it. We do it all the time because we want what we want. Right. And we can justify almost anything. If you're low on calories and you're not losing weight, you can justify, Oh, I just need to keep going lower and lower. And, and maybe that's the case. Maybe you are too high in calories. You need to go lower and lower, but you need that objective eye to be able to look at the data and, and remove emotions. I, I don't coach you with emotions. I, I've never gotten emotional with you and said, oh my God, Spence, you were so low in calories. No, I, I don't do emotions. I look at data and I look at where you're at and I try to mesh you together and figure out where can we go? This is where you're at right now. We can't change where you've been and we, we can't start any further ahead. This is where you are. So what are the logical steps we need to do to get you to the ultimate end goal? So if I had a specific goal I was going for, I would have a coach too. Right now, I don't have a specific goal I'm going for. I'm just living my life and having fun, you know, and I'm injured. So I'm trying to recover from that. But if I was to want to prep or, you know, try to go into a, a bulking phase or something like that um, in the efforts of trying to compete later on down the road, I would have a coach. And you're right. Coaches need coaches. 
Um, one of the best examples is um, Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, I know that's, that's your inevitable. guy. I hate he, Tom Brady so much. Oh, oh I hate oh, Tom Brady. I'm, I'm a miss- diehard Eagles fan. I hate oh, Tom Brady right. so much. That's right. But, I misunderstood, but I'm sure you're going to make the same reference. Is Tom Brady is a phenomenal reference when it comes to like fitness and coaching and like the, the mindset of everything he's as much as I hate to admit it, like he's a great example for it. He is. I mean, he has a quarterback quarterbacks coach, right? He's got a personal uh, nutritionist and, and trainer. Uh, Michael Jordan was the same way. Kobe Bryant was the same way. All athletes are that way. And it's because they, at the end of the day, they're human, no matter how great they are, what they've achieved, they're going to get in their own heads too. Now, the difference between high-level achievers and people that are stuck is those high-level achievers don't rest on their talents and they don't rest on their natural ability. They seek to get better. They seek the help for the weak areas that they can't, they can't overcome on their own. Um, we're not robots, right? We are going to have flaws. We're human. Um, God designed us that way. We have flaws. And for us to be stronger, we have to seek out those that have different talents than us right? Me, I'm not the best with electronics and computers and things like that. So I seek out somebody to help me with that. Luckily, my wife's pretty good with that. So that's pretty good. But regardless of it, you know, it seems like when things aren't going right, like we're not feeling good, or, you know, we're injured or something like we'll go to a doctor, right? And we'll seek their professional help. But when it comes to like, you know, things aren't going well with my diet or my training or anything like that, people just want to do it on their own instead of seeking out professional help. I mean, there's a reason why I spent a couple of years in grad school and, and went and did this because there's a lot that you can learn just on your own. And I think a lot of people should take more time to just naturally learn about their body and their metabolism. But there's a reason why people with master's degrees and PhDs and things like that went the extra mile to go learn this stuff. And that's to help you. It's, it's not to do anything other than help you succeed. So take advantage of that. And I think that if people can, you know, kind of get that through their head, what you said, coaches have coaches too. There's no shame in hiring somebody to help you get through that. I mean, we all need help. Yeah. It's like everybody can Google, but Google is only so good. Like I've, I'm in a lot of like Facebook groups for like, you know, keto and intermittent fasting, just to like basically be in there and just like when people say dumb shit to be like, Hey, that's, that's wrong. Like you're no. And a lot of people will like start like fight. Like I start wars in comments because I'm like, that's, that's factually inaccurate. And they're like, no, show me the studies. And I'm like, I don't need to show you the studies. You need to stop Googling the information. Like, like the amount of people that say, uh, the bit, the big one that I've been fighting lately is that weight loss is, um, solely dependent on insulin resistance. And I'm like, you Googled intermittent fasting benefits and saw insulin resistance reduction. And that's, you're hanging your hat on it. It's not, it's that you're lowering your calories. This is one thing that I've spent many, many nights and years arguing with people on social media. And I've just gotten to the point where if I can tell that they are just emotionally invested in something, I I give up, I give up. I don't give up in terms of like, I admit they're right. They're they're absolutely wrong, but I'm not going to waste my energy on it because when somebody gets so dogmatic about an approach and they get so emotionally invested into it, you're not going to change their mind. It's like politics, 
right? Someone's going to be emotionally invested to whatever the left is saying. Someone's going to be emotionally invested to what the right is saying. Best advice my grandpa ever gave me is at the dinner table, you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics because people get emotionally invested. And if he would live in this day and age, he would tell me, don't discuss diet and nutrition because it's the same way. Yep. It is a, it is a religion to people. Keto is a religion. Carnivore is a religion. Um, South beach is a religion, right? Yeah. Liver now, King is a religion. <laughs> Liver King is a religion. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's not get started on that. Now I'll get pushback on that. Like, okay, David, you promote flexible dieting. Why is that not a religion? Because flexible dieting doesn't restrict anything. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. I'm, it's not a religion. It, it, I'm not telling you, and this is another argument you, you get into people. Flexible dieting also doesn't mean that you just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Right. That's actually, that's not what we promote whatsoever. And there is not one single post from anybody, Lane, myself, Anybody on team BioLane that's going to say, just go ahead and eat whatever you want all the time. That's not flexible dieting. Flexible dieting is having the ability and understanding that, okay, you want to eat the majority of your, your whole foods, your micronutrient dense foods. But if you want to have a piece of pizza, if you want to have an ice cream or a donut, it's not the end of the world. You can still make it fit into your macros. Why? Because we have meta-analysis showing that calories are king. And if protein and overall calories are equated for weight loss or weight gain, it's going to be the same. Or I mean, well, it's not going to be the same, but you know what I mean? Like it's, right. you're going to be able to lose weight or you're going to be able to gain weight if you're in a calorie surplus or deficit. What people hear though is, okay, I can just, you know, I can go have pancakes for breakfast. I can go have a cheeseburger for lunch. I can have pizza for dinner. Yes, you could, if you can make all that fit in your macros, that's not what we promote and you'll never find us promoting that. All right. Because quality still does matter. Right. But what we want to try to do is get people to understand that, okay, one quote unquote bad meal is not going to throw you off. And one good meal is not going to put you back on track. It's the overall efforts of consistency day in and day out. And we want people to be able to enjoy their lives because realistically, you're not going to be able to stick to keto long-term. There's about 5% of the people out there that can, okay? You're not going to be able to stick to carnivore long-term. I don't, I don't even know how small a percentage that is that people actually do it. So let's be realistic about your life and, and understand that food is more than just energy. Food is entertainment. Food is connection. Food is, is a relationship with your family and your friends. So let's not be afraid of it. Let's learn how to use it to our advantage as a tool in the right circumstances. And that, that's what flexible dieting does. It teaches you about your body. It teaches you, okay, if I have three pieces of pizza, I'm not going to feel well. You know, it doesn't mean that it's a bad food, but my limit might be one or two pieces of pizza. Right. Yeah. And it allows you to be able to go out to anniversary dinners and birthdays and vacations and not have to carry Tupperware around and not be so restricted. Every other diet that I've been talking about before there's a restriction element to it. Flexible dieting has no restrictions, but it does, it does want to promote the, the more nutritious side of food, the more micronutrient dense side with this other stuff kind of hanging on the side that you can throw in so that you don't deprive yourself. Cause what do we see about majority of people that um, go on like binge eating and stuff when they're dieting, right? It's because they're depriving themselves of something. There was actually 
so I, I, I can't remember the name of the study, um, but they compared rats because a lot of a lot of tests are done in rats because it's just hard to do in humans, right? But yeah, the they're ones easier to that, find in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ones that you know were how how was it? It was like the ones that were severely restricted ended up binge eating more. Like when they had food in front, they ended up eating more, which gained more weight, right? Mm -hmm. um, the ones that weren't really restricted as much didn't have that effect when the same amount of food was present. So what does that tell you? It's not the food, it's the restriction. So let's remove the restriction. Let's learn and educate ourselves a little bit more about how our body works and operates, what your metabolism is actually for and how that runs and operates and how food is broken down into fuel for your body to use. If you're not using it, you're going to gain fat. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I obviously like I learned a lot of the way that I coach my clients from having worked with you in the way that you coached me, but it's the same concept of like, I hate the term like cheat meal or cheat day. It's like, yeah. you don't, you don't need to cheat if your diet is just easy. Like if you're like, uh, I brought it up in another episode as Jordan Syatt said, he's like, Google diet. The definition of diet is just food you eat habitually. Yeah. Like the, a diet is not keto or paleo or carnivore. It's, it's just the food that you eat on a daily basis. And it doesn't mean calorie restriction. Right. That, that's what a lot of people think is like, oh, I'm going to be dieting. Okay. What does that mean? Like, what are you doing? They're like, I'm dieting. Once again, yeah. what does that mean? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I say that same thing to them. I'm like, dieting is just an arbitrary term of consuming your calories, right? Are you trying to go for fat loss? Are you trying to gain weight? Like, what are you trying to do there? And you brought up an interesting thing about cheat meals. I hate that term. Never use it. Occasionally I'll use it in a post just for the simple fact that I understand that's what most people understand it to be, but I will also explain, I'll explain more about it in the post and stuff. But, um, what does that, what does that do for your relationship with yourself and with food? Right. When you think of, you know, let's just use like someone who cheats on their girlfriend or their spouse or something like that. Right. I was going to use Tom Brady, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> hey, I'm not the biggest Brady fan either. I mean, I, it's cool because he's down here in Tampa, but I'm a Bears guy. So, um, so you get this negative connotation with the term cheat or cheater, right? Well, why do you want to give that connotation to food? Food is supposed to be good for you. You're supposed to enjoy it. We're humans. We're not, you know, we're not hunters and gatherers where we don't have it around. Like food is used for connection and relationship and entertainment, uh, nutrients as well, of course, energy. But when you start developing that negative connotation with it, then what does that do? Leads to disordered eating patterns, eating disorders in general, um, you know, binge eating, um, uh, anorexia, things like that. And then what does that do? Ruins your life. I was there. I, I was there years ago. I wrote a whole damn book on it. Um, it's, it's not a way you want to live. And what that, you, you might think that that only kind of applies to your fitness and all that. No, it bleeds over into every part of your life. Family relationships were ruined with me. That took years to rebuild. I was lonely, no friends. I was a hermit. I developed OCD. Like it was debilitating. So you might not think like, 
you might be, you, people might hear this and say like, oh my God, he's just going to the extreme. No, all it takes is that one, one term to start throwing everything off. If you start applying a, a negative connotation to food or your relationship with food or exercise too, did it with that. I, I was an exercise, a compulsive exerciser. It's going to have this cascading effect that's going to bleed over into all parts of your life. So it may sound like I'm being dramatic, but I promise you, I'm not. Go read my book. I'm not trying to sell my book. I'm trying to tell you guys, like, you can see page by page, chapter by chapter, how it destroyed my life. And if you don't think that can happen to you just because you start using the term cheat or, you know, you have this negative connotation with food, you're, you're kidding yourself because it absolutely can cascade into that. So cheat meal, or if I hear a client say that, or somebody asked me on that, I just I cringe. I cringe at yeah. that thought. <clears throat> Yeah. It's like the, like demonizing a food group and it's, yeah. I just don't buy into it either. It's I, I talked about it. I think in the first episode of like my grandparents, like my grandfather was hundred percent Italian and it was like, like every family event was like a huge platter of lasagna. And I'm like, oh, I, yeah. thankfully when, you know, when those times were around, like I was never like super strict on my diets at that point, but it was like, I can't imagine being at, you know, family Christmas and there's a giant plate of lasagna and being like, I can't eat that. I'm on keto. It's like, fuck that. Like this is the best yeah. lasagna on the planet. Like, <laughs> well, and, and that's really interesting. You brought up the Italian thing because culturally, right. Let's look at this culturally across the country or across the world. I should say, I'm sorry. Um, if you look back in the old times and it's still that way, kind of in Italy and stuff, people that were like overweight and, and bigger and stuff like that, that was, they, you know, you always knew who were the rich people because they were the bigger overweight people because there's food abundance, right? And so you look at culturally, like, you know, Italy's like that, um, you know, I don't know if like Germany and stuff like, but some of those places over there are like that. People are not as food focused as we are here in the US. And, and I like to kind of examine why that is. And I, I always go back to, well, social media here, I think kind of makes things a lot worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Not that there's not social media all across the uh, world. There is absolutely. But when you have a place where a bunch of different cultures are intermixed, there's not like a single nationality culture like Italy and Germany, places like that. Then you start kind of like losing that heritage. You you lose that connection. I mean, family, I, I've got parts of my family that are Italian, too, and stuff like that. And, and it's the same way, like food abundant, right? Like food is entertainment. That is connection. That is relationship. But when you get over here to the U S and we've got, you know, social media that's designed at marketing towards us, right? That that's all social media really is, is this marketing in one factor or another, either a product, a business, a lifestyle, you're marketing something, right? And you start getting no like accountability, on social media in terms of what people are posting and things like that. And you start seeing these Instagram models and things like that, who are, uh, or these fitness influencers who are ripped all year round and people are like, think that's reality. No, those people take hundreds and or thousands of pictures when they are ripped and use them all year round. They don't stay like that all year round. All right. So we get this like false impression of what is healthy in America. And most of the time, what people think is healthy is restrict, restrict, restrict. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. The human body was not made to constantly be in a restrictive state. I mean, if you think about it, like you're, that's dying, right? Like yeah. 
Now, I don't want people to think, oh my God, I'm dying because I'm in a diet. That's not what I mean. But your body needs a certain amount of calories to maintain, right? And if you're not giving it that, then you are not providing what your body needs. And I'm not saying don't go into a fat loss phase or try for some of that, you know, every now and then, of course, do it. It's fun. But you need to be spending way more time out of a deficit or at least at maintenance than you do in a deficit. All right. Save the deficit for when you're going for a specific goal or, you know, maybe you have a photo shoot or a vacation you want to look good for. I get that. There's a lot of vanity in it. I'm not opposed to that. Or you have a prep, you have a show you want to do. Right. But when you're not in that state, get your body healthy because there's so much more to life than just walking around ripped all the time. Okay. People that if, if you are listening to this and you've never talked to a bodybuilder or, you know, a bikini competitor or anything like that, um, and you've never been to a show, I really highly encourage you to talk to one who's actually like in that lifestyle, not just someone who looks ripped on social media, because they will tell you it is the absolute most miserable feeling they have the day of a competition. They are so hungry, so depleted. Their hormones are so thrown out of whack. For what? Well, for them, it's for a short-term goal. As soon as they get done, they have a plan to get back up to maintenance or go into another building phase, right? And a lot of people, they won't compete for another two or three years. Like, yeah, they're going to have some people that compete every year, but they're usually a little bit more established. They've kind of built the physique they want to build. Um, but they spend way more time out of a deficit than they do in a deficit. So understanding kind of like what is health, right? What is healthy? Um, that's really important, I think, for people to start understanding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like not to turn this into a marketing ploy or anything like that, but it's the the conversation is always like you can go online and Google a 12-week fat loss program and it'll oh, give yeah. you like you know, I don't mean to throw any shade because I've had great success with it too. And like, you know, the Chris Gethin programs, Jim Stepani programs, things like that, that they're really great programs. They're built well, they have decent workouts and everything like that. But if you follow their diets to a T and you see the result at the end of it, then what? And to your point is, you know, competitors go all the way down, they get on stage and they're ripped and shredded and miserable, but they have that plan for the next three, six, 12 months to get out of that diet. And a lot of like a lot of guys and girls today just Google, you know, a diet program. They find bodybuilding.com or whatever, follow this program for 12 weeks, get down to whatever weight, but then they're like, okay, cool. Now what? And they either are stuck at that number of calories because they don't know what to do or they keep cutting calories and they, or they just go back to what they were doing before. And, and that's like that cycle of going back. And then it's like, you know, it's the proverbial, like you don't see people redoing flexible dieting. You see people redoing keto dieting, like more people have to start keto again than people that just eat flexibly, like hand up, like you're my coach. And I'm going to tell you this. I've eaten three pints of ice cream this week, but I fit all of it into my macros. (laughs) I love it. And, and here's the thing. People will ask all the time, well, because you kind of led into this. So this is a great, I wasn't even going to go here with this, but people, <laughs> I love it. People test me all the time. Like, why should I hire you instead of somebody else? And I'm like, well, first of all, I've, I've put out, you know, I put out uh, marketing and I've put out examples of progress. Besides that, 
let's forget about all that. Let's forget about the success I've had with clients and things like that, that I've, I've demonstrated and showed. The plan that you're looking for on the internet or that you might get from somebody else, will it work? Probably. I mean, if you drop calories low enough and you do enough exercise, yeah. But I always ask then, do any of those plans have a plan afterwards? Do any of those plans set you up for success afterwards? Do any of those plans get you out from an unhealthy position to a healthier position afterwards? The answer is no. And so that's where the value going back to the very beginning of this is that it's not just about X's and O's and numbers and things like that. It's about, okay, what is your psychology going to be like at the end of this diet? How are you going to struggle trying to add calories back in? What kind of steps do we need to do? What kind of things do we need to think about? How do we need to view um, food afterwards? How are you going to need to view exercise afterwards? How are you going to have to separate your emotions from the data and the reality? what's going on when you actually are gaining weight as you add calories back in, it's not all body fat. So that is the, that is the bonus that myself and you and other coaches who do it the right way, bring to clients. Anybody can slash calories. Anybody can just throw in loads of cardio. Anybody can go to the gym six or seven days a week, which is just dumb anyways, but um, that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Um, Anybody can do that. All right. You don't need to pay, you know, X number of dollars a month to do that. Where the real value comes in is when you do get stuck down there, because you will not because um, you're bad or anything like that, because you're human and you're going to get stuck down there and the body adapts down there. And it's a survival mechanism for the most part. When you get there, how are you going to get out? And the answer is you don't know. You don't know because you don't understand the metabolism. You don't understand your body. You don't understand what healthy is. That's where the value of a a real good coach who understands that stuff comes in. Hey guys, the episode ran a little bit long. Interview is a great conversation. So we broke this one up into two episodes. Stay tuned next week for episode five and the rest of the interview with David Mathis. Hope everybody has an amazing day.